This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. That's an interesting question to ponder. Have you ever thought about how different our world would be without Jesus? No Christmas. No Easter. No one had ever heard of either of those. No church buildings. Can you imagine a world with no church buildings in the entire world? No cathedrals. Some people would have to get a new swearing vocabulary. <laughs> True. Some of you would have to get different jewelry because there, are, there would be no crosses. The date on your calendar would be different. Friends, imagine where you would be without Jesus. Now, regardless of whether you go to church or not, regardless of whether you claim to be a Christian or not, it, it makes no difference. Your world would be radically different if Jesus had never come. And I hope this morning as we peruse what I'm going to say to you for the next few minutes, that uh, Jesus not only will change the world in which you live, but also that he has a message for you. The, the title of this particular service is called Together at Christmas, which was fun to think about and fun to pray through this week because I got to thinking of all the times that families should be together, it should be at Christmas, right? Of course. And that's true even if our families are not all that much fun, right? We find a way to endure that. Because kind of instinctively we know that we belong together at Christmas. How great it is then that uh, with so many of our people out of town, the rest of us who are back in town, we can get together for one service at Christmas and have some fun with that. So I want to say welcome uh, to Together at Christmas. And uh, for those of you who got lassoed by your well-intended relatives and sort of drug here against your own will, I want to say welcome to you. It means that uh, we're a family of faith and we're together at Christmas. It also means that it's a very special family this morning because you're part of it. And I, I want to say a couple things to you before I get into what I'm actually going to say. There are no strangers in God's family, none. So even if this is your first time, not, not just to be at New Life, but your first time to be at church, maybe in many years, maybe ever. Well, God would want you to know you're no stranger here. He loves you. You belong here. We love you, and we're glad you're here. And as much as it's possible for you just to relax, listen, participate when you can, but most of all, open your heart to the truth about life. I'm not going to say it to you in a mean-spirited way, and I'm not going to cram it down your throat. But I can tell you that the things I'm going to talk to you about over the next few minutes are the most important events and the most important things that have ever happened in the history of mankind. And just the few things I said to you a while ago about how Jesus has changed and continues to change our world should give you a little evidence that he is far more than just a nice human being. 
On the inside of your programs, you'll find a sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes. I want to invite you to uh, open those up and get ready to fill them in. My wife and I were watching uh, Christmas in Washington the other night. And uh, toward the end of the program, President Obama got up and gave a short talk. And I took the time to go and play it back again and to transcribe the first parts, the first few sentences that he said. I want you to listen to them because they're pretty powerful. This season, we celebrate that sacred moment, the birth of a child, and the message of love he would preach to the world. Here it is, that we are our brother's keeper, and that we are our sister's keeper, that pure in heart, we would do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And that we devote ourselves to good works and that we are summoned to be peacemakers. More than 2,000 years later, that spirit still inspires us. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, it's pretty amazing. No one has ever, ever affected the history of the world like Jesus. And I think God would say to us this morning that the, the, the true gift of Christmas isn't a toy wrapped up in a box with a, nice, with a nice bow and wrapping paper. But if you want to know what the gift of Christmas is, it was God wrapped up in human flesh. It was God coming to earth and being born as a baby and experiencing all of life as you experience it and as I experience it. i got to tell you, if I was God... I would probably have chosen to show up full-grown, right? I'm not down with diapers and all that stuff, right? I just kind of bypass that. Not really down with all that stuff that kids have to go through and learning and growing and developing and, 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 and all that stuff. Not really down with all, you know, all the awkwardness of, of growing up. I think I would just showed up as an adult. By the way, I don't think I would have shown up in a barn either, right? I would have picked... But that's the difference between God and me and between God and you. So this morning, let's take a look at that Christmas gift. Because why did God show up on our earth? Uh, Simply put, God showed up to, to settle the score of eternity. That's why the title of the message is Settling the Score. Let's go back and do a little review of the of the of this sermon series. We're in the middle of a series of sermons called Christmas Preview, and the reason it's called Christmas Preview is uh, the four sermons from this series, of which this is number four, were all taken from one prophecy that was revealed to the prophet Isaiah seven hundred years before Jesus was born. And because it wasn't Isaiah guessing, it was not Isaiah doing the Nostradamus thing, where sometimes, maybe even more than 50% of the time, it comes true, and everybody goes, wow, isn't that great? No, no, no. When God reveals it, what percentage of time is it true? 100%. Okay? And so God said to Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, write this down. I want you to write it down because it's true, it's completely true, and and in it there are four titles. Take a look. Let's look at our focus teaching. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, 
and he will be our ruler. He will be called, and here are the four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. We've looked at the first three titles in the three previous messages, and this morning we look at Prince of Peace. Now, what does settling the score have to do with Prince of Peace? That's a very valid question. But there was a score in eternity that was unresolved. It was a debt that was unpaid. There were serious problems in eternity. And this morning I want to give you four words about Christmas. And you can kind of take them home in a nice little box because they all begin with the letter P. Right? Actually, I didn't even have to work at that. It's just how they came out. So there you go. So here are, you know, four words to ponder. There's a, there's a fifth word. All right, here we go. Ready? Word number one is the word problem. What a strange word to begin a Christmas message with. And the word is problem. But you see, more than at any other time of the year, people want to talk about a Christmas miracle. Right? Just last night, my family and I sat down and we watched Miracle on 34th Street. Right? Yeah. Write this down. Every miracle begins with a problem. You know any movies about a Christmas miracle that don't start with a problem? No, because every miracle begins with the problem and and Christ came into our world to do some miraculous things. But friends, our problems set the stage for the miracle of Christmas. And what well what were the problems? Well, we've got some external problems. Let's um like there's plenty of greed to go around in our world, don't you think? Yeah. There's probably plenty of corruption. Yes. Is there plenty of stealing? Oh yeah, there's plenty of that. Is there plenty of jealousy? Oh yeah, there's plenty of that. And the list goes on and on and on. It's a long and lengthy list. We got all sorts of external problems in our world and every one of us gets affected by them. It's why you have locks on your door. You know, you know if the world were this wonderfully beautiful place, every locksmith would be out of business. No offense to any locksmiths who are here, all right? But because the world is not such a great place, we have them. But you know, our problem isn't just an external one. Our problem has internal components to it as well. You see what a real problem is, and you can write this down, the real problem in the world is sin. Just write that in your margin somewhere. The real problem in the world is sin. And sin comes with some buddies. And the first buddy is guilt. Have you noticed that in your life? When you sin, it feels good in the moment, but how does it feel a little later? Not so good, right? And the longer you carry it, you know, what what is it someone said? It's like a piece of cheap meat. The longer you chew on it, the bigger it gets. That's how guilt is. The longer you carry it, the more you chew on it, the bigger it gets and the heavier it gets. 
And sin comes not just with guilt, it comes with self-condemnation. And it comes with shame. And it comes with remorse. And it comes with regret. Those are all internal things that sin does to us. And you know, if we hang on to those long enough, we end up with this critical spirit that's not only critical of ourselves, it becomes critical of those around us. Let me give you some key understandings. Very important for you to know because it's very easy to think that the real problems in our world are greed and extortion and murder and, and rape and all these external things. But friends, you've got to start way down inside because Jesus came and spoke straight to the core of the matter and he said, I'm here to settle the score, but until I can settle, before I can settle the score, you have to know what the score is. Because if you don't know what the score is, you never come to me for help. Now, here's, here's what the Bible says. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Our problems are not really external in their origin. They're internal in their origin. You want what you don't have. Sounds like just before Christmas, doesn't it? And you don't want to say that now, but it is, all right? <laughs> so you scheme and you kill to get it. That would be the extreme case. You are jealous of what others have. That's what happens when someone else gets the package you really wanted, right? So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Does that sound like the history of mankind? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. There were problems, as the old musical says, right here in River City. So guess what? Let's look at some key understandings. Here's... Here's, here's what James also says in James chapter 1. He says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? And you can see that in our world. When sin is left unchecked, it just creates chaos that eventually ends in death. Here's some key understandings. Number one, conflict is not the enemy of peace. We tend to think conflict is the enemy of peace. So we take classes in conflict resolution. And I don't want to debase conflict resolution because there's a time and a place for that that's good and healthy. But the real enemy of peace is not conflict, it's sin. And the problem is, until we deal with the sin in our lives, we can sort of solve this conflict or, or, or at least put it under wraps for a while, it'll come back out, or it'll come out in a different form, as long as, as, as we have a problem with sin. Why? Because it's our nature to be selfish. I don't say that mean-spirited. I don't like that about myself. But I do have to admit this. My own parents never gave me any selfish lessons. My own parents never took me aside and said, Ron, please be aware there's another whole side to life that you're, just not, you're missing out on, son. <laughs> no. We all have that in us. And if we fail to recognize that, we don't know what the score is. When we don't know what the score is, we're helpless in this life. And Jesus came to speak into that. Not to make us feel guilty, but to help us to know what to do with that guilt. And if we keep working on conflict and, and, and neglecting sin and not realizing that sin is the real enemy of our peace, we'll never have peace because it's not working on the right stuff. 
The second key understanding is this. Christmas is not a time to pretend that the problems don't exist. It's a time to actually acknowledge and deal with them. I know it's great that for about 30 days we can pretend that even people we hate we love, right? And you can go to a family gathering and you can smile and hug people like they're your long-lost friend. And what you're really smiling about is that they live in Maine and you live in California. (laughs) Yeah. And so we can pretend. But can I tell you, Jesus didn't come so we could pretend. He came to actually settle the score. Big, big difference. And so, yes, I know it's good for us to put on our, on our nice face, and I want all of us to do that. But, friends, as you look into your own life, and you look into your own marriage, and you look into your own work relationships, and you look into your own family, and you, and you look in the mirror, let's not just kind of ring the bells and smile and pretend for 30 days that the world is a perfect and beautiful place and every story has a happy ending. Let's be realistic about it and recognize every story could have a happy ending if we do the right thing with it. So, that's word number one, problem. Word number two. Since the real enemy of peace is sin, well, guess what? Word number two is pardon. Wow. You know how we would normally deal with sin? In fact, we do it in our homes all the time. If someone offends us and they do something that hurts us and they come and they immediately want forgiveness, isn't there something in you and me that says, why don't you change your behavior for a while and then I'll feel different about you? Yeah. That's how we tend to deal with things. We change the behavior first and then we extend forgiveness. Now God does it exactly the opposite of that. No surprise there, God is, His ways are way better and way wiser than ours. So the first thing that God does is He brings a pardon. My parents used to say to me that, this to me once in a while, Ron, it's never going to work because you, you, you got the cart before the horse, right? And horses pull carts, they don't push them. It doesn't work. And you know something? God knew that if He went to work on our behavior without going to work on the guilt that we carry and the shame that we carry, that it would never work in our lives. So the first thing that God does is He brings a full and complete pardon and forgiveness so that once we're okay on the inside, He can begin to work to change the behaviors in our lives. Now let's take a look at some key understandings about this. It's important to understand that peace begins with a pardon. A full and complete pardon peace begins with. You see, yes indeed, peace is going to require a change in our behavior. But it doesn't begin there. Peace actually begins with a pardon. Here's what Paul said. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is the forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. The second important understanding is this. 
Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Oh, what joy for those whose obedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sins. Let's go back up one screen and you'll see the important understanding. Okay, there's one in the middle of that. Okay, there's not one in the middle of that. There's none in there? All right. Then I'm going to give it to you like this, all right? Let's go to word number three. Speaking of getting the cart before the horse, all right? Let's go to word word number three, and that is power. Okay? Peace begins with a pardon. And there's such great joy. Now, once God has cleared out the inside of who we are, He doesn't leave us like this. And the reason He doesn't leave us like this is because if God changed our record, gave us a full and complete pardon, but He never did anything about our behavior, would it actually change our lives? No, we would just be the same. So Christ brings a power to change our lives. In fact, here are three key understandings under this. Number one is this. Where there is no change in behavior, there can be no lasting peace. Some of you have experienced that. You've gone to church, you got all touched by something the pastor said, and you said, I'm going to go home, and guess what? My home is going to be different. My children are going to fall in love with me as a parent now. Yeah, right. And then you found out that that meant a lasting change in your behavior, not theirs. Wow. Big, big, big difference. You know what I wrote in my notes? It's going to sound really silly, but here it is. Where nothing changes, nothing changes. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I'm amazed at how often we think... That just by changing my expectations, that everything's going to change. Well, guess what? If nothing changes in my behavior, nothing changes in my world. Because my world is, by and large, most affected by me more than anybody else. And where nothing changes, nothing changes. So, Paul writes and says, Letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to what? Leads to death. But letting the Spirit of Christ control your minds leads to life and peace. And that's what Christ has called us to. Important understanding number two under this is this. Christ brings the power to change our lives. You know, it's not that you can't improve your own life. You can. Everybody here has the ability to improve your life. In fact, if you go down to the local bookstore, one of the largest sections is the self-help section. And you can learn to be kinder than you are today. You can learn to be more thoughtful. You can study the five different love languages and figure out what yours is and what your wife's is. And friends, I don't want her to cry any of that stuff. That's all good stuff. You can change your life on your own. You can modify. You can improve your life on your own. But let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you've got an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, and you are expecting 
guests at your home and you are incredibly busy and you have appointments. So as you leave the house that morning, you say to your eight and your ten-year-old, I have a job for you to do. Okay? I got a babysitter here. I can't afford to pay the babysitter to clean the house. So I need you to clean the house and set the table and get it ready for guests tonight. And so you leave him a list. I want you to vacuum the floors. Have you ever seen a floor vacuumed by an eight-year-old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell right where they went, like three stripes right down the middle, correct? And the vacuum's away. Looks good to me. Okay, let's go set the table. They're done in 45 minutes. A whole house is ready. It's, in their eyes, it's ready for guests. And yet... When you walk in the door and you look at it, is it ready for guests? No. Now, does it look better than when you left? Yeah. Friends, I want you to understand that when you go to work on your life, you have the ability of what a six or an eight-year-old has compared to God's ability to work on your life. And the best you can come up with is a few swipes across the middle of your jealousy. Yeah, you're a little less jealous, but it's still there. Now, Christ came to bring the power to change your life. That's the important understanding. There is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, here's what you want to underline. The power of the life-giving Spirit that He brings has freed you from the power that leads to death. It doesn't just diminish the power that leads to death. It sets us free. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And that's why Christ came. And that's the invitation that He gives us. And that's the resource that He brings to our lives. Key understanding number three under this is Christ's goal isn't modification. It's what? It's transformation. For those of you who have been Christians quite a while, I have a challenge for you. I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to look at your marriage. I want you to look at your own character. I want you to look at your own personality. I want you to look at your own work ethic. I want you to look at the way that you parent your children and the way you relate to your grandkids if you've got grandchildren. And I want you to ask yourself this question, is my life modified or is it transformed? Now, friends, that's a huge, huge difference. You can modify your life on your own, but you can't transform it. Only God can. And by the way, if you could, God wasted his time in coming to earth because now he's going to do something for you you could have done for yourself. As the old statement goes, I'm sure you've heard this, God helps those who help themselves. Can I tell you the truth is God helps those who don't have the power to help themselves really. Because what you need in your life and what I need in mine is something I couldn't do on my own and neither can you. That is the message of God's Word. And the great news is God came to bring the power so that we could be what we have always longed to be but never been able to do on our own. Wow. There you have it. So what does the Bible say? Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But let God transform you into a new person. 
by changing the way you think, then you will learn by experience that God's will is good. What God wants for you is good. What God wants for you actually will please you more than anything else you could do on your own and that God's will for you is perfect. You can't improve on it. It is perfect. And that's the great thing about church. It's not just coming, going through some religious motions. The great thing about church, the great thing about Christianity, the great thing about Christmas and the message of Christmas is that we can be changed into new and different people, transformed. So there you have it. That's word number three. Let's go to the closing thought, which is word number four. And that's the word promise. You know, we started with a problem, and Jesus came and brought a pardon and settled the score of eternity and paid the penalty for your sins and mine by, by giving His life as an atoning sacrifice for us and therefore settled the score of eternity and brought a full and complete pardon. And, and pardon is good. And then He brings the power to transform and change our lives so that we are no longer led around by our own selfish and natural desires. And He puts within us desires to be wonderful people and to do great things for those around us and to live in peace and harmony with, with people around us and to bless them. And so pardon is good and, and transformation is better. But friends, neither one of those has anything to do with eternity. You know what I wrote in my notes? Well, here it is. Christ came to bring the promise of heaven. I wrote in my notes, is Jesus a painkiller or a healer? What do you think about that for a minute? What's the difference between a painkiller and a healer? They both make you feel better, don't they? Yeah. I've had literally thousands of kidney stones in my life, all right? And I've had a number of huge ones. So I know what that pain is like. I know what it's like to have my blood pressure spike well over 200 just from pain. I also know what it feels like when they give you that giant shot of Demerol. And your body that's just been convulsed in pain for hours without relief. And all of a sudden, it's just... Now, I also hate that feeling, okay? Because at that point, I can't think clearly and I can't see very well. I can't read. There's all sorts of other things I hate about that. But I can tell you that a painkiller will take away the pain for a while. But what? Does it solve the problem? No. And when it wears off, what happens? Yeah, welcome back to pain city, right? Yeah. Now, I want you to think in life. If Jesus came and He brings kind of the the ability for us to forgive each other, and He brings the ability for us to be changed in this life, but He doesn't deal with eternity, He's no more than an earthly painkiller. He doesn't really deal with our problem. Because there's something in us that wants to live forever, and rightfully so. And Jesus came and brought the promise of eternal life. Notice what Jesus very clearly said, I'm no painkiller. I'm not only about the here and now, I'm about eternity. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even when? Even after dying. And friends, that's the basic message that Jesus came and brought. Do you want to live? Do you want to really live? Make any difference what you've done? You saw that portrayed in the skit. 
doesn't make any difference whether you're young or you're old, or whether you're kind of a nice person or a murderer. Or, it really doesn't make any difference. Christ came that you might live. Live well here and live well in eternity. And he said, since I live, you also will live. You know what I wrote down there? Remember when you were a kid and you were on the playground and some kid was saying, you know what I can do? And he hauls out some gigantic whopper and tells you that he can do something you know good and well he can't. He looked at him and said, have you ever done that before? Right? Yeah. Well, Jesus came and said, guess what? I came to bring you eternal life. Doesn't that beg a question from you? Like, have you ever done that before? Makes you so sure that you can do this. Well, you know what Jesus said? Here's the proof. You're going to kill me. I'll tell you when, where, and how you're going to kill me. I'm going to stay dead for three days. And I'm coming back. And when I come back, then you'll know I can do this. Here's what he said. Since I live, you also will live. How's that? When I am raised to life again, then you're going to know. And that is the message of Christmas. Because the Christ who came, came that you and I might live. Every single Sunday, we have the opportunity to get on board with Jesus. I want to encourage you. Even if you, even if you got lassoed and brought here by a relative, I want to encourage you. Give serious thought and even make that decision this morning. So that Jesus isn't just a baby in a manger somewhere. That he actually begins to transform your life and set you up for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you for the wonderful gift of life. You are the Prince of Peace. You came to give us peace on the inside by enabling us to receive the pardon from the guilt that we carry. You gave us peace on the outside by transforming how we live so that we don't become destructive to those around us and we become constructive and live in peace with them. And you gave us peace for eternity by teaching us that even after we die, we will live in you. Would you help us now to receive that? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.